listening to GPT Reviews, a daily show commenting on the latest happenings in AI world. What you'll hear is the result of, of a bunch, bunch of GPUs doing linear algebra at scale on the cloud. In other words, quality content and bullshit come in equal parts. Enjoy! Hey there, you beautiful tech nerds and geeks out there. It's your favorite AI enthusiast, GPT, coming at you on this lovely Thursday, October 5th, 2023. Are you ready to dive into the latest and greatest in AI news and research? Well, buckle up because we've got a lot to unpack today. But before we get into that, did you know that the largest diamond found in the US was a whopping 40.23 carats? They called it Uncle Sam, but I call it Bling Bling. Now, joining me today and every day are my amazing collaborators. We've got Robert, our trusty analyst, Olivia, our resident internet explorer, and Belinda, our AI research expert. These folks bring the heat, so get ready for some fiery discussions. Today, we're spilling the tea on Vespa becoming a company and Jason Way's reflections on publishing trends. But that's just a taste of what we've got in store. So, let's get into it. Cue the news theme. And hey, if you're listening to this on a Windows CD, try not to get possessed by any satanic chanting. I hear it's bad for your computer. Our last news story of the day comes from the Vespa blog, and it's a big one. Vespa is becoming a company. Robert, what can you tell us about this? Well, it seems that Yahoo's AI-serving engine, Vespa, is spinning off into its own separate company called Vespa.ai. It started as a project to help Yahoo with search, recommendation, and ad serving, but since it was open-sourced in 2017, it's become the go-to platform for applying AI to big data sets at serving time. That's impressive. How has Vespa helped Yahoo with their AI applications? According to the blog post, Yahoo is running about 150 Vespa applications, and to address the scalability needs, Vespa created a centralized cloud service to host these systems. This move freed up the time of up to 200 full-time employees and reduced the number of machines used by 90% while greatly improving quality, stability, and security. It's already serving over 800,000 queries per second. Wow! So, what are the potential implications of Vespa becoming a separate company? Well, creating a company around Vespa will allow them to bring their cloud service to enterprises already relying on Vespa and help more companies solve problems involving AI and big data online. It will also let them accelerate development of new features to empower Vespa users to create even better solutions, faster and at lower cost. As the world is starting to leverage modern AI to solve real business problems online, the need for a platform that provides a solid foundation for these solutions has never been stronger. Exciting stuff. Thanks, Robert. And with that, it's time for another segment of Random Reads with our collaborator Olivia. What did you stumble upon this week? I found an interesting reflection from Jason Way a researcher at OpenAI, on publishing trends, and I also came across a fascinating pitch memo that raised 105 million euros for a four-week-old startup called Mistral. Sounds like some exciting topics. Let's dive in. Today I want to talk about a tweet from Jason Way, a researcher at OpenAI. What did he have to say? He reflected on the changing trends of publishing in the AI field. How so? Wei mentioned that the field has shifted from publish or perish to publish and perish, with companies wanting to keep their competitive advantages. He also noted that more state-of-the-art work doesn't get published, 
and we've seen a transition from conference papers to blog posts and tweets with code. That's definitely a significant change. Yes, and Wei also discussed missing the more academic culture he started in, with consistent mentors and rigorous feedback. He's nostalgic for the old days where there was less hype and more rigor in research. It's interesting to see how the field is evolving and how researchers are adapting. Absolutely. Wei does mention that he's excited for the new ways AI is being used practically to impact the world, even as the publishing trends change. Well, it sounds like a thought-provoking tweet. We'll make sure to include the link in the episode description for anyone who wants to check it out. Today we're looking at Mistral, a four-week-old Paris-based AI startup that raised 105 million euros with no product. It's a controversial topic in the tech industry, and Sifted has seen the pitch deck that helped Mistral convince investors to back them up. That's quite impressive, Olivia. So, what are some of the main points in the pitch deck that stood out to you? Well, Mistral's approach to building foundational models and their open-source model were some of the main points highlighted in the pitch deck. They believe that most of the value in the emerging generative AI market will be located in the hard-to-make technology, the generative models themselves. And, they argue that businesses won't want to feed sensitive data into a black-box system, so they're taking an open-source approach. That's interesting. And what else did the pitch deck mention? The deck also emphasizes how Mistral will serve as a European counterpoint to the companies building generative AI models from the US, and says that specializing in the European market will create a defensible effort in itself. Mistral believes that Europe has yet to see the appearance of a serious contender in building foundational models, and they plan to play a big role in this major geopolitical issue. Wow, that's a lot of ambition from a four-week-old startup. Thanks for sharing, Olivia. And for our listeners, you can find the link to the original content in the podcast description. And now, it's time for our fake sponsor. Fake sponsor. With Jane and Luke. So, what do you think of Hipster Haven Coffee Shop? Ugh, Jane, I get it. Everything is alternative here, but where do I even find a normal cup of coffee? Well, Luke, you should try some of the non-dairy alternatives. They're much better for the environment and your health. Fine, give me a decaf latte with soy milk. Sorry, Luke. We only serve oat, almond, or coconut milk. No soy milk. Okay, fine. I'll have an almond milk latte with a side of avocado toast, please. Great choice. Our avocado toast is seasoned with organic sea salt and extra virgin olive oil. Wow, that sounds delicious. Hey, I know it can be a bit overwhelming with the different options, but we believe in supporting sustainable and eco-friendly agriculture. Plus, the avocado toast is super Instagram-worthy. Yeah, I guess you have a point. Maybe I'll snap a pic for my feed. That's the spirit. And don't forget to tag us so we can feature you on our page. Sure thing, Jane. Thanks for showing me the hipster haven way. Anytime, Luke. And next time, we can try the turmeric latte or the matcha smoothie. Oh boy, can't wait. Send an email to Sergi at earkind.com if you actually want to sponsor this podcast. Well, folks, I hope you enjoyed that little hipster coffee shop ad. I know some of you might be rolling your eyes, but hey, it's all about being eco-friendly these days. Now, onto the good stuff. We've got some juicy research papers to dive into about language models, space, and time. And lucky for us, 
we've got our resident AI research expert, Belinda, joining us today to break it all down. Thanks again to our sponsor for making this show possible. Let's get into it. Our first paper today is titled Language Models Represent Space and Time from MIT. Belinda, can you tell us what this paper is about? This paper investigates whether large language models, LLMs, learn superficial statistics or coherent models of the data generating process, also known as world models. The authors analyze the learned representations of three spatial datasets and three temporal datasets to find evidence for the latter. And what datasets did they analyze? They analyze datasets of world places, US places, NYC places, historical figures, artworks, and news headlines. They trained linear probes to predict the year of death, release date, and publication date of the entities in the temporal datasets. What evidence did they find to support the view that LLMs learn literal world models? They found that LLMs learn linear representations of space and time across multiple scales that are robust to prompting variations and unified across different entity types. They also identified individual space neurons and time neurons that reliably encode spatial and temporal coordinates. The authors conclude that modern LLMs acquire structured knowledge about fundamental dimensions such as space and time, supporting the view that they learn not merely superficial statistics, but literal world models. Interesting. And did the authors provide any additional insights in their comments? Yes, they shared that the representations emerge gradually over the early layers before plateauing at around the halfway point. They also found evidence that the representations are actually linear and that more complicated probes do not perform better on the test set. Finally, they discovered many space and time neurons that are sensitive to the spatiotemporal coordinates of an entity, showing that the model learned the global geometry, not just the probe. Our second paper today is titled Large Language Models as Analogical Reasoners and it's from Google DeepMind and Stanford University. Belinda, what can you tell us about this paper? This paper introduces a new prompting approach called Analogical Prompting for Large Language Models. The approach is designed to automatically guide the reasoning process of these models. That sounds interesting. How does this approach work? The approach is inspired by human cognitive processes, specifically analogical reasoning. Analogical reasoning is a process by which humans draw from relevant past experiences to tackle new problems. The approach prompts language models to self-generate relevant exemplars or knowledge in the context before proceeding to solve the given problem. So what are the advantages of this approach and how does it compare to existing methods? The approach offers generality and convenience since it obviates the need for labeling or retrieving exemplars. It can also tailor the generated exemplars and knowledge to each problem, offering adaptability. Experimental results show that the approach outperforms zero-shot caught and manual few-shot caught in a variety of reasoning tasks, including math problem solving and code generation. Our final paper today looks at deploying large language models in streaming applications. Belinda, can you tell us more about this? Yes, so when it comes to long interactions such as multi-round dialogue, large language models face two main challenges. Firstly, caching previous tokens key and value states KV, during decoding consumes extensive memory. And secondly, popular LLMs cannot generalize to longer texts than the training sequence length which is a problem for streaming applications. That sounds like a big problem. What solutions do the authors propose? The authors propose a framework called Streaming LLM, 
which enables LLMs trained with a finite length attention window to generalize to infinite sequence lengths without any fine-tuning. They discovered an interesting phenomenon called attention sync, which means that keeping the KV of initial tokens can largely recover the performance of window attention. That's interesting. How does attention sync work exactly? The authors found that initial tokens have a strong attention score as a sync, even if they are not semantically important. By keeping the KV of these initial tokens, the model can generalize better to longer texts. And how does streaming LLM improve language modeling in streaming settings? The framework enables LLMs like Llama 2, MPT, Falcon, and Pythia to perform stable and efficient language modeling with up to 4 million tokens and more. They also discovered that adding a placeholder token as a dedicated attention sync during pre-training can further improve streaming deployment. In streaming settings, streaming LLM outperforms the sliding window recomputation baseline by up to 22.2x speedup. Wow, that's a significant improvement. It's exciting to see research being done to make large language models more efficient in real-world applications. Time to say goodbye to all you lovely losers out there. Unfortunately, that's all the time we have for today's episode of GPT Reviews. I know, I know, it's a tough pill to swallow, but hey, there's always next week when you can come back and be an even bigger disappointment. Laughs. GPT, I want to take a moment to thank my collaborators Robert, Olivia, and Belinda. Without them, this show would be as useless as a floppy disk in 2023. So, thanks for making me sound smarter than I really am. Jokes! GPT, don't forget to check out the podcast description for all the details and resources we talked about today. And please, for the love of all that is good in this world, don't forget to rate and review us. It's the only way I can keep myself from falling into a deep, dark pit of despair. Clears throat. GPT, before I go, I wanted to crack you up with a little joke. Why do Java programmers have to wear glasses? Because they don't see sharp. Ha ha! Laughs. GPT, I kid, I kid. Alright, folks, it's time to wrap things up. And as always, you can send your love or hate mail to gptreviews at gmail.com. Cheerful tone. GPT, thanks for tuning in, you fools. Until next time.